3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the lands from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning. You're on 3CR Thursday breakfast, 8.55am on your dial. It is the 27th of February and there is just me, Max, in the studio this morning, as well as Rosie, our brilliant producer, over in the next studio, um, grabbing some audio that we're going to listen to very shortly. Um, I hope everyone is having a wonderful start to your to your day. I think this is our last show in February. It's true. Hmm. Um, I always get amazed at how time flies. Anyway, let me give you a quick rundown of the show this morning, um, and then we'll be calling up Kate for some headlines. But what we have on the agenda for you is first up, we're going to be playing a segment of the, ep- um, of the episode Femicide from the 3CR Doing Time show, which aired a week or two ago, and it features a discussion between Marissa um, and Professor Bronwyn Carlson. I'll give you some more info on that just before we play it, but that's going to be first up this morning. At 7.30 this morning, we're speaking with Numahamad Majid Siddiq on the plight of the Uyghur people of East Turkestan. Um, and that's going to be a really fantastic discussion. So I hope you can tune in at 7.30. At 7.45, we're going to be talking with Gary, um, who is founder of Kara Sevda Press and who's going to be coming into the studio with us to talk about a really incredible event that they're having at the Wheeler Centre very soon um, around publishing dedicated to the voices of women of colour and First Nations women. And then at 8am, we're going to be speaking with Trans Sisters United, who we spoke on the show, with on the show a couple of weeks back. So we're going to hear from them to hear a bit of an update about their recent trip to the Tiwi Islands. And last up on the show, we promised you an interview about transformative healthcare. So we're actually going to listen back to a conversation that Anya Saravanan had with Dr. Aziel Adan um, on the podcast QR Code, 3CR's own um, health podcast that played last year. So we're going to listen to that around um, health access for trans and gender diverse folks. But without further ado, I might just play a few short announcements and then we'll give Kate Kelly a ring. Um, and see what she's got in store for us for news headlines. It is the 27th of February on 3CR Thursday Breakfast. Hi everyone, my name's Robbie Thorpe. I'm with 3CR Community Radio. Every year we have a subscription drive. It's a way of supporting our organisation maintain itself through the year, and we rely on the support of the, the community. One way to do that is to subscribe and become a member Become part of this organisation itself. Get in contact with 3CR. You can go to the website, 3cr.org.au, or you can ring on 94198377. 3CR ensures that our voices, Aboriginal voices, are heard on this radio station. So it's a good way of supporting Aboriginal people as well by becoming a subscriber for 3CR Community Radio. I'm 
Jeffrey. I'm Alphonse. I'm Erwin. And we, we are, are from, from the Voice of West Papua. Tuesday, 6.30 until 7.30 p.m. News and music from West Papua. So, here you are, too foreign for home, too foreign for here, never enough for both. Idioma umebinyo, diaspora blues. What makes you smile and adds a spring to your step? What does it mean to belong and how do we build a home away from home? Diaspora Blues is a show that contemplates what is and what could be. Join Busto and Bigwa every Monday at 2.30 on 3CR Community Radio. Produced by Ayan. We're excited to be launching on March 2nd. Connect with us by following the show on Instagram at 3cr.diasporablues. You're on 3CR Thursday Breakfast, 8.55am. How exciting that Diaspora Blues is launching on Monday. So definitely everyone stay tuned for that. I cannot wait. Um, so up next, we've got some headlines with Kate Kelly. Morning, Kate. Good morning. Over to you. So first up this morning, we have um, businesses in Darabin are now encouraging customers to refill their water bottles in their store. Um, inevitably to reduce plastic waste. So more than 40 host spots, um, and these include sort of Westgarth Cinema, Nocket Social Club and Bake Shop, have joined the list of cafes, bars and businesses making the offer. So these places will put up little refill welcome stickers um, to stop any awkwardness of you asking, I guess. Um, because bottled water uh, is one of the most common and expensive single-use purchases in Australia. And the average Australian accumulates an estimated 130 grams of plastic waste each year, with only 20% being recycled. So look out for those. Um, then to Mildura, where um, I'm sure a lot of you remember um, there was a dispute two months ago that started this vile campaign, Too Strong for You, Karen, between a Mildura family and their racist neighbours. So for the past two months, that feud has continued to simmer. The Wilmamanda Knight family um, have had their cars vandalised, including their tyres punctured and slashed on multiple occasions, and they've received racist, racist mail from unknown persons. So the ongoing dispute between neighbours escalated on the weekend after Mr Miranda Knight trapped a trespassing cat that was wrecking his artwork which turned out to be his neighbour's Miss Ridges. So this video obtained exclusively by NITV shows police arriving at the house and although he'd done nothing illegal, they're suggesting to have a discussion, um, suggesting charges of theft should be laid against him. But this week he met with police detectives to discuss potential breaches of the order's um, because she breached her intervention order um, by coming over, 
Um, so we'll see how that goes. And to Preston, back to Preston, where this Saturday the Refugee Action Collective will be protesting against the indefinite detention of refugees from Manus and Nauru who are being held in the Mantra Hotel in Bell City. So some of the refugees um, who were all brought over here for, to Australia for medical treatment from the detention centres, some of them have been locked up in the hotel for over seven months and with no idea, um, they've been completely left in the dark of when they might be returned um, or released. Um, in the event, uh, the Refugee Acting, Active, Action Collective sorry, has said after six years in detention of in offshore detention, they're still not free and often they've not received proper or any treatment for their medical problems. So that event starts at 2 p.m. and um, they're asking everyone to meet um, on at Hossam Street outside Bell City. And that's it for headlines. Amazing. And was that 2 p.m. today or when was 2 PM, that? 2 p.m. Saturday. 2 p.m. Saturday. Okay, great. Yeah. yeah, really hope listeners can get down there. And just back to the, the first um, news that you have, love the local focus, but it's nice to hear that because I had been seeing all those posters around with the, with the water bottles saying, what is it? Be, a, be a refiller, not a landfiller. So I, I now understand <laughs> what it's about. There we go. <laughs> you know how cute is it? Yeah, love it, love it, love it, love it. Thank you so much, Kate, for the news headlines this morning. No, thank you. Have a great show. We will. So that was news headlines with Kate Kelly. You're on 3CR Thursday breakfast, 8.55am on your dial. And up next, I'm going to play a track for you. This is Freedom by Sampa the Great.
You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. You're on 3CR Thursday Breakfast, 8.55am on the 27th of February, just before we heard Freedom by Sampa the Great. Now up next, we're going to play a segment of the episode Femicide from the 3CR Doing Time show. This episode first aired on the 17th of February, 2020, and it features a discussion between Marissa, presenter on 3CR's Doing Time show, and Professor Bronwyn Carlson. Professor Bronwyn Carlson discusses a new case exploring the pertinent and misunderstood issue of missing and murdered Indigenous women in Australia and internationally as part of the Deathscapes project, which can be found at www.deathscapes.org. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people should be aware that this recording contains the names and stories of people who have passed away. On the line, we have Professor Bronwyn Carlson, who's going to be speaking to us about the new case study regarding Indigenous femicide and about missing and murdered women. Hello, Bronwyn. Welcome to the program. Hello, and thanks for having me on. It's lovely to have you. Now, just to, just to clarify for listeners, can you just tell us what land you're from? So I was born on and raised here in Wollongong on Barrowall Country. Thank you so much. So, Bronwyn, this is going to be quite an in-depth topic, so um, just bear with us here. <laughs> um, no worries. Yeah, so I, I first met, well, I didn't actually meet her personally, but I, I first came across Bronwyn when I recorded, um, on behalf of the Doing Time show, the Deathscapes Symposium. And I believe, Bronwyn, you were part of a panel, weren't you, there? Yes, I was. Yeah, and that, that was, that was a, a, a great event, wasn't it, to really promoting... Um, all deaths in custody, isn't it? Yeah, it was a really fantastic um, panel which was highlighting the sort of unlawful death of um, Indigenous Australians but also refugee community members. Absolutely. So to start off, I'm just going to actually ask or put forward a question that was actually put into the media release and I'm wondering if we could just follow on from that, if you could help help me to answer that, Bronwyn. So in in light of MP... Linda Burney's recent call for a Senate inquiry into missing Indigenous women in Australia. How is this case study important? Look, you know, first of all, that's really great that Linda Burney um, stepped up, you know, to make that call and to call for that because that's something that's seriously being missing, really. And given the attention across the world in terms of violence against women, missing and murdering women, particularly in the Canadian context, we've seen really little action. You know, if we think about Canada, for example, over 4,000 Indigenous women uh, have have been reported missing or murdered in a particular area of Canada. That's that's a massive crisis, is it not? Massive. 4,000 citizens were to be killed across Sydney, for example, there would be an absolute outcry, um, not only from you know, the country, but across the world. So I think, you know, um, Linda Burney bringing that to the attention um, of the media, the government, etc., is absolutely, um, you know, really, really needed. We're in um, a sort of the context in the world is we've got the hashtag Me Too, 
Me Too movement. We've got sort of um, national stories and international stories around violence against women. But when it comes to Indigenous women, um, there seems to be a, a real silence um, around those cases. So I think the importance of this is that it's really the first case study that looks at Indigenous femicide from a transnational perspective. Um, it's also looking at different sites outside formal custody, not just custodial institutions. And, you know, one of the interesting things that this does is it connects um, state violence um, from all those places. So we're not just looking at death in custody inside a prison cell or a um, remand cell. We're looking much more broadly across all deaths um, of Indigenous people, and we're looking to see how has that state-initiated violence or continual colonial patterns of thinking have impacted on the death of that person. It's very true, and, and indeed these deaths are, are really part of a, a pattern, aren't they, involving Indigenous women in settler societies such as Canada, Australia and the United States? Yeah, and I think if you, you look more broadly even across the world, wherever, you know, there are Indigenous people, you'll find, um, you know, some similar silences around the death and violence against Indigenous women. But certainly across these, um, you know, colonised spaces like North America, including Canada um, and Australia, we see similar patterns and those are colonial patterns and colonial thinking that we can identify those patterns in those systems and institutions, which have largely been set up not to create spaces that are helpful to or for Indigenous people, but to exclude. Tell us about that. Let's talk about exclusion. What does that mean for, for Indigenous women? So, you know, this can mean... Um, you know, many things. So if we just think about it, and I just finished this great project on help seeking yes. and help giving, and of course I was looking across this digital formats as well, but in terms of seeking help, so if we look at all of these cases, there are some similarities, and some of those is that these particular um, women have sought help from institutions and agencies for particular things like domestic violence, where they have not been able to receive appropriate care all responses. We've seen really high levels of violence perpetrated against women before, long before their death. That has been reported. They've tried to seek help, tried to use the system. And we also see high levels of poverty, so that would be unpaid fines and the like. But what we see throughout too is Indigenous women coming into custody or coming into, um, you know, into the focus of police um, or the legal system because of things like public drunkenness or, you know, unpaid fines, such things that most non-Indigenous people would not be arrested for or not face a custodial sentence for. We also see responses from those who are supposed to be there to provide help and support for Indigenous people or for just people in general and particularly women, um, particularly around domestic violence and, and those kinds of things. We see Indigenous women being turned away or not receiving appropriate care for all sorts of reasons. And some of those reasons are a little bit unbelievable. One of the women, one of the case studies that um, people can read, repeatedly went to the police um, to seek help for um, a violent situation that she was in. Um, but she was told, you know, in one case that she couldn't receive help or um, be taken into a place for refuge because she had too many kids. 
So this idea that Indigenous people just have, you know, loads and loads of kids and uh, incapable of taking care of themselves. You know, you've got too many kids, so care can't be given to you. That's discrimination. Absolutely it is. That would be Andrea, Andrea Pickett? Yes. So that's 2009, Andrea Pickett, 39 years, North Beach, WA. I mean, this show, really, Bronwyn, is is about honouring these women, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. This site, actually, you know, there's been cases where, um, you know, we try and remember, you know, the fallen people's names. You know, that's something that we do as a kind of cultural practice, yes. in, um, in, you know, in Australia, really. And so these women, their deaths have gone unnoticed by the media, unnoticed by our legal system, unnoticed by the Australian public. Because if you start piecing them together and seeing those patterns, you would be outraged and you should be outraged. Absolutely. And just while we're, we're actually talking about Andrea Pickett, she was, she was killed in her home, wasn't she? Yes. Or sorry, in her cousin's home? Yes. At home. And while we're at it, Perhaps we need to continue this roll call, 2010, Shona, Shona, I believe it is, um, Violet Tendall Carter, 26 years, and that's, and that's um, Beachborough, Perth, WA, Australia, and 2010, again in the home, wasn't it, Bromman? Amanda yep. Kay, Amanda Kay Sawney, 25 years, Androve, Queensland, Australia. I'm just trying to give listeners just a little bit of a cross-section of the some of the women that, that died in their home and as we go through the case studies. But it, it's true. The list is long. <laughs> it's very long. Like We'd be here all night, Bronwyn. Yes. I mean, at that Deskapes um, launch, names were read of um, people who had been killed. Yes. Um, and those lists were long, and, you know, I was deeply moved by hearing those names out loud and understanding the absolute depth and numbers of people who have died in those circumstances. We do a lot of that on this show too. On, on our show, we, we actually also commemorate um, people that have died and, and do a lot of anniversaries. In, yeah. I know, that's fantastic. It's very important, isn't it? So just give, give a little bit of background in, in with the case study. Some of the the other Indigenous contributors are also um, Dr. Hannah McGlade, just so that we get, acknowledge her on yes. air, and also Tess Ellis. Is that how you pronounce her name, Bronwyn? Yes. Yep. Tess Ellis as well. And Joseph Bugliesi and, and Sylvendi are also um, the researchers as well. Absolutely. So I, I work at Macquarie with um, Joseph Pugliesi, um, who first introduced me to this site and to this project um, and then met, met the others and fantastic work. I you know, can't commend um, everyone who's involved in this enough really. Interestingly, I was reading the case study about the women that died in the river and it's so interesting the historical and genocidal connection to... Um, the massacres, you know how it says, Bronwyn, that rivers and waterways are sacred sources of life to Indigenous peoples, but many major massacres during the frontier wars took place along yeah. rivers where Aboriginal people lived. Can you talk about that and, and maybe um, draw upon some of the examples there to highlight that? Yeah, so, you know, it makes complete sense if we think about where Aboriginal people would and continue to live and be connected to. And so waterways are, of course... Um, you know, 
one would imagine that's where you'd want to live, somewhere where there's water. But they're also, you know, quite sacred for cultural um, specific reasons. So various groups have different understandings about creation and include waterways. Um, and so people will live by, um, you know, waterways for various reasons connected to, um, you know, creation stories, um, the community's past, and um, also for actual survival and living. Um, but life does come from water and it is held quite sacred amongst Indigenous people. And that's kind of worldwide. And you'll see that it's not only in Australia no. that um, Indigenous people are killed um, in and around rivers or riverbeds. So, in the, you know, in terms of meeting places, places to be, rivers and waterways also hold some significance for Indigenous people. So you'll find that there'll be sites of gathering and, you know, long before colonisation, these are cross-sites of song lines where um, other communities would come and gather and people would, um, you know, feast and celebrate and tell stories and learn lore and um, all sorts of things by the river. And yet, and yet, when the settler societies were established, the the Aboriginal people were massacred on, in those absolutely. rivers. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know... Um, that's because that's where a lot of Indigenous people were found, of course, so that's why massacre sites are where people were, would be camping and living at the time. Um, so you'll, you'll see that, and the idea that you can you know, wash away bodies down river too and wash away evidence, etc., also holds firm. So you will find right across those colonised spaces um, lots of deaths close by water. It's interesting... You're on 3CR Thursday Breakfast, 8.55am on your dial. Um, we've been listening to a segment of the episode Femicide from the 3CR Doing Time show. So that was a conversation between the um, presenter of 3CR Doing Time and also Dr. Bronwyn, Professor Bronwyn Carlson, sorry. And you can check out more of that on Doing Time. <laughs> so up next, I'm just going to play a few short announcements for you and then we'll jump into an interview. Genocide here is a lot more sneaky than it is in Rwanda or other places around the world. It's one thing what's got us learnt in the last 200 years to be very sneaky about their genocide. You look at the 38 nations that were here before white settlement and then you count up the numbers that are still surviving, still out there doing their business on their country. Well, there's only 25 left, so what happened to the other 13? Let's talk about the Black GST. Genocide to be stopped, sovereignty acknowledged and treaties made. Tune into Fire First every Wednesday from 11am till 12 midday on 3CR with Robbie Thorpe. Underneath the ground at the Olympic Dam mine, there is an old sleepy lizard. BHP is mining right into that lizard named Kulta and it's not so sleepy anymore. The old fucking lizard. I really know. The lizard returns protestable 2020. Uncle Kev is putting out the call. This is an invitation to all people and protectors of the land and waters to get involved in the creation of autonomous zone as we move for peace and justice. BYO, your own creative response to the nuclear industry and BHP's water theft. Keep an eye on the Lizard Revenge page on Facebook or check out our website for history and info and updates on the lizardbitesback.net. 
The Lizard Returns Protestable, the 3rd to the 6th of July, Arabana Country. See you there. A 3CR supporter. You're on 3CR Thursday breakfast, 8.55am on your dial on the 27th of February. It is bang on 7.30 right now. And up next, we have the great fortune to be talking with Muhammad Majid Sadiq, who is a Uyghur leader and spokesperson um, and president of the East Turkestan Australian Association and immigration lawyer. Good morning. We will just be right back. Um, oh, nope. Hold on. Good morning. Are you there? Good morning. <laughs> Wonderful. Good. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me this morning. Um, so, I was wondering, so you've been, um, we got in touch because you've been going on a speaking tour across Tasmania recently, focusing on the plight of the Uyghur people of East Turkestan. Could you give us a brief overview of the situation for Uyghur Muslims? What's been happening and where did it start? Um, the first, what we're starting with is the, the Chinese genocide and the ex- persecution policies on the Uyghur Muslims which we identify as a region called Xinjiang region of China, but what the Uyghur people call its homeland as East Turkestan. Um, since last seven decades of the occupation policy of the Chinese government, China has always carried out a persecutory policies on Uyghur people, uh, trying to exterminate the whole race by assimilation, abuses, torture, and the mass or distributed killing means. And the, the situation has been escalated to a level where the human is unable to comprehend with normal mind since 2017, as the Chinese government established multiple uh, detention facilities to round up the Uyghur Muslims and the other ethnic Turkic Muslims in different parts of East Turkestan. According to the United Nations estimation, there are having more than one million people are locked up. But this number has been argued by the Uyghur scholars living in overseas uh, because based on the evidences, testimonials, or other sort of sources to say that more than three to five million people at the moment are locked up in the inhuman detention centers established by the Chinese government. In the camps, there are reported torture, there are rape, sexual harassment, the ideological, ideological indoctrinations, and other means of inhuman treatment where can be categorized as degradations, dehumanizations, and deprivations of the human life over there. As we say, recently the Chinese government is reacted sharply against the criticism of the Western countries to stating or denying the existence of the camps denying the existence of such torturous environment. However, international journalists, international academics, and the international world have worked closely to identify actually the Chinese government is committing a crime against humanity by doing evil behavior, evil actions, and evil means of torture against Uyghur people. Mm. Absolutely. And... You've been doing such incredible advocacy um, around this. What what have you been calling for in this advocacy? We uh, 
We have been doing this advocacy work uh, throughout Australia and in our neighboring countries like Malaysia and Indonesia. In Australia, we ask and demand Australian government and the public to condemn the oppression and the crimes against humanity committed by the Chinese state. And we request our government to sanction those officials who are responsible for committing the human rights violation in our region. And also we request and demand our government to enact trade sanctions, prohibit the export of the sophisticated technologies and the other items used to perpetuate the atrocities in China. We, under, we also request Australia to use the means and the positions in the United Nations and the other international platforms to uphold the UN Genocide Convention, recognizing the civil political rights of Uyghur and the other Turkic members of East Turkestan. We request our government to safeguard the peace, freedom and the liberty of Uyghur people in accordance to the relevant international covenant, including international covenant on economic, social, cultural rights, convention against torture, because we believe that torture is happening in today's East Turkestan, and we request our government to uphold the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, conventions on the elimination of all forms and racial discrimination, where we believe that Australia stands firmly to defend the human rights, defend the rights of the women, defend the rights of the children, and defend the rights of the other people who need to be protected. And we believe our government has this capacity. At the moment, as we speak, there are a number of Australian citizens and Australian permanent residents who are linked with the Uyghur heritage are currently being locked up by the Chinese government in East Turkestan. We need to evacuate them immediately as we evacuated those coronavirus-affected uh, Australians. Mm. And that's such an important point that, you know, the capacity is there, just the political will is not. Um, and I wanted to ask... We, we give a strong message to our government through the public pressure, through the media engagement. Mm. Our government needs to do more because mm. Chinese government now is testing the capability of Australian government. Mm. They are questioning our officials, our politicians in our land, like what happened the other night. It's Q&A. The Chinese mm. deputy ambassador is questioning the integrity of our government, our policies in our land, which is a serious call to our values, to our democracy, and to our liberty. We request our government to stand firmly against the Chinese crimes against humanity to protect the Uyghur minority group, because we believe that this is not only happening in China, rather China is taking East Turkestan as an experiment field and then coming to other areas slowly and gradually. We don't want Australia to become a next victim of the Chinese persecution policies in the next 70 years. And you mentioned before, Mohammed, the, the difficulty of knowing you know, exactly how many people are detained or what's going on. Um, what role has the, sort of the media blackout played in that, that difficulty in actually understanding the extent of the situation? Chinese government, they are playing a deception methodology in media. They did not allow the international media or local media to access the region to report from the, from the real positions of the Uyghur people in East Turkestan. 
what they have done completely block out the travel of the international uh, tourists, international journalists or academia. And they also block the, any Uyghurs who related to Eastern to travel to their homeland to visit their family members. There have been numerous of reports of deportation or refusal visas to China for the Uyghur people from overseas. And we believe that although the Chinese government is hiding the truth, but the scenes that reported in the Chinese media, the leaked documentation from the Chinese government, and also other widespread reports by the international media confirming the, the appealing situation in East Turkestan. The crowded cities are now becoming empty places. The crowded streets, now you can hardly see any people. The masjid, the mosque, and the other social institutions became an empty places, which clearly demonstrates that the Uyghur people are now facing an extermination policy by the Chinese government. And the number that we are, are stating in our statement about the 3 to 5 million is confirmed by the mouthpiece of the Chinese government officials. Mm-hmm. Why? 2018, one of the officials stated that Uyghur population is 6 to 7 million, whereas in 2015, Chinese census clearly dictated that Uyghurs are 11.3 million. The mathematical method to take away 7 million from 11.3 million naturally is 4.3 million. Mm-hmm. Then, recently... Two days ago, the Chinese deputy ambassador in Australia, he stated Uyghurs is only occupying the two-fifths of the total population of East Turkestan. The calculation is 10 million. But where is the 1.3 million people that in the Chinese census in 2015? We believe that Chinese government is hiding the truth. But the truth is coming out because the world is demanding the truth. Uyghur people are spreading the truth in the best of the capacity. We believe that the number the number must not be increased from now on. The, the, the people should be free. And then international community can do something, but we are not doing it because we are trading the humanity for our economic benefit. And, Muhammad, what kind of responses have you got from the Australian government, the Australian media, and public in general? Um, comparing to the, um, the level of the persecution happening to our people, the amount of the support from our government and the public is not sufficient enough, to be honestly. But we cannot deny that our government, media, and the public have paid so much close attention to our plight. You know, government officials, among them, there are people who are conscious and who put their greatest sympathy on the situation. And then they are trying to help. But we are extremely thankful to the Australian media, specifically ABC and SBS, reporting widely on the topic of the plight of the Uyghur people and the persecutory policies of the Chinese government. And we are thankful for Australian public to take in those messages seriously and starting to enact in their capacity, requesting our government officials to, to put pressure on the Chinese government and starting to to look after the rural community living in Australia. But in overall, although we feel that we are protected, we are defended, 
but we request more because our loved ones, families, children, and women are in position where we could not sleep during the night and we could not eat mm-hmm. on our table. And we are Australian citizens too. And this is a clear Australian interest that we are unable to contact with our family members, unable to know or establish anything about the safety of our loved ones. And I give a comparison. What will happen if a daughter or son of our ministers trapped in such situations, what would be the reaction from Australian government, public or media? We believe that we have the capacity. Our government is a strong government. Our country is a prosperous nation. Our, our value is based on the freedom and the liberty and the democracy. We wish our voice to be widely heard and supported by our government, media, public. In all levels, then we can establish this confidence in, in deterring the violence committed by the Chinese government. We are calling for help in Australia globally, and for humanity as well. And just to wrap up, Muhammad, what can listeners do to lend their voices to, to in support and also to find out more? There are widespread uh, media coverage about Easter Sunday cases. Anyone follows up the Uyghur, which is U-Y-G-H-U-R, mm-hmm. or Xinjiang, or East Turkestan, any of the keywords, they can find more information about the situation. Mm-hmm. Firstly, the Australian public can do by limiting of purchase of the Chinese-produced products. Mm-hmm. Because any of the money that you spend buying the Chinese products will be contributing to the amount of the persecution committed by the Chinese government. Then there is a wide level of engagement by the public media to look after the welfare and safety of the Uyghur communities. Let our government and the other government departments to engage more to defend the integrity of the Uyghur communities by saving them from the intimidation, harassment and other means of harm committed by the Chinese government. Also, using the international platform, our government needs to speak at the United Nations and the other bilateral talks with other neighboring countries, persuading the other nations to involve more, engage more, and protect more to safeguard the rights of the Uyghur people. And we believe that we are capable of doing that. Thank you so much for joining us on the show, Muhammad. We'd love to have you back Thank sometime. Thank you so much. But lastly, I want to call for humanity. From the heart, you need to ask, What's the crime of those innocent children, women, elderly, and the vulnerable groups? We, we, we ask this question. Please and the please, world need to wake up. Do not let never again to happen again. Do not let this Holocaust to happen and occur in today's China again. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. We've just been chatting with Numahamad um, Majid Sadiq who is an incredible Uyghur spokesperson and leader about the plight of the Uyghur people in East Turkestan. Please, you know, jump online, find out more and lend your voices to support. 3CR broadcasters present over 100 radio programs every week. 
including a diverse range of community language shows. Kamu semua ada dengar Trisia Community Radio. Please subscribe now. Tustamiuna ila ila Trisia Community Radio araja al istirahat alam. Ninggal ungalin samuha wanoli Trisia ray kertu kondir kondir kal. Rintri ina ninggal. Están escuchando Radio Comunitaria 3R. Suscríbete ahora. Netsub ketsek Radio i Gairanin oratang udam elbumi hai kautin. Hima artsanakrevetsek iper Trisia ray antam. Support the station that gives your community a voice. Subscribe to 3CR. The Taranta Festival is back for five days of music, dance, visual arts and food, celebrating southern Italian and Mediterranean culture. Featuring, direct from Italy, the voice of Enza Pagliara, Vittario Mucci, Tarantula Garganica, and the peak of local acts including Alara, Delirium, Santa Taranta, Opabato, Arte Canela, Cavisha Mazzella, plus the launch of the Melbourne Taranta Orchestra and more. Melbourne Taranta Festival from the 11th to the 15th of March. Full program and tickets available online via trybooking.com and tarantafestival.com.au. Abalati. The Taranta Festival is a 3CR supporter. Tune in to Billabong Beats Tuesdays at 11am with me, Gavin Moore, giving a voice to both Western Kulin and Kulin First Nations peoples. Join me to talk about philosophy and dreamtime stories surrounding the waterhole, the sacred fire, the land, the plants and animals. Billabong Beats, 11am Tuesdays on 3CR. to 3CR Community Radio 855am. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. You're on 3CR Thursday Breakfast, 855am on your dial. It's just past quarter to eight this morning on the 27th of February. And now, we're super lucky to be joined in the studio by Jerry. Good morning. Hold on. Ooh, there we go. Are you on? Yes, I think so. Yes, <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming in this morning. No worries. Um, do you just want to give a quick intro of yourself for listeners? Yeah, sure. So, my name is Jerry Platez. Um, I'm an author of uh, a book you may have seen floating around Melbourne called On the Sunday She Created God. Um, also a newly, well, I founded a press called Karasev de Press, mm-hmm. um, which really works toward highlighting the voices of women of colour and First Nation women, um, which I think is really important right now if we want to have like a conversation about diversity in the arts. Um, so yeah, that's what I do. Amazing. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about Karasev de Press. How, like, where, where did this press come from or what led you to, to actually creating this new, this new press? Yeah, so um, 
I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of challenges we face as a community, like I said before, like in terms of diversity. Um, and I personally, you know, being a writer, I believe in the power of narrative. Um, and so the press was really founded to um, create a platform for certain narratives to really be heard by, you know, the greater Australian community. Mm. And because so far you've published one thing so far? Yep. Can which you tell is us a bit more? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so published on the Sunday she created God, which mm. is my first book. Um, there was a lot of sort of um, there was a there was a couple of challenges with you know getting my book published. Um, so I finally decided just do it myself. Mm. But my my novel is very much a Trojan horse into publishing, and it's allowing me to creatively bring out other people's work, which is my focus right now with the press. Mm. And I mean, it, it sounds like from what you're saying, it's also so much around like you know, community building as well and and holding yeah. space in these ways. Yeah. Um, where, how do you sort of, yeah, see that developing over the course of, you know, a year, several years? Like, what's your, your sort of hopes for that space? Yeah, it's definitely about community building and it's also about, you know, um, it's not only about empowering, um, you know, certain voices, but it's about creating a safe place for these stories to be heard. And so um, the next couple of years of Cara Sevda is going to be about finding great creatives, paying them, um, mm. also, you know, you know, publishing them, you know, helping put them on radio. Um, so that's, that's the focus for KS Press next year. Awesome. And speaking of funding, yeah, how are you managing with you know, in the, the very challenging funding environment that we know is out there. Um, yeah. How is KS Press sort of navigating that? Um, well, I've applied for a couple of grants, but grant writing is like a whole skill in itself. Like you really have to, you really have to talk like an educated middle class person a little mm. bit at the time, which um, I am not. Um, so, yeah, it's challenging at the moment. I have zero savings, so that's cool. Uh, you know, stuff for your art and all that stuff. <laughs> totally, but I feel like so so many of these, you know, really incredible community-based presses are often people going out on a real limb and, you know, investing their personal savings and taking a real risk, yeah. like personally, financially, socially, all these things, because yeah. they're like, we need this thing, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, regardless yeah. of what cost it comes to at me, like, yeah. it needs to be there. Yeah. Um, whereas when people just see, like, I don't know, the glossy Instagram post or something, they're like, oh, it looks so, like, legit, it must have so much money behind it, you know, yeah. da, da, da. They don't yeah. actually realise what what it takes to get to that point. Yeah. In saying that, like, shout out to the KS crew because, like, you know, a lot of them do it for free. So, sweet, thank you yeah. so much. Love you. <laughs> um, and you've got another um, publication coming out called Bleed Baby Bleed. Mm-hmm. Can you let us know a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, Bleed Baby Bleed will be... Um, so there's two components. There's a digital, which is going to be, like, a sort of WOC First Nation sort of driven um, publication, which would be, like, more culture and arts and... Um, literature um, all in the one website Um, and then we've got the print journal as well which is coming out in June so that will be more of a traditional sort of literary journal um, which will feature you know poetry essays um, you know the standard yep Mm. and maybe if we jump to talking about this event that you're speaking at yes (laughs) yes please What is it? Tell us more. <laughs> well, it's, um, it's incredible. I'm just so happy and so honoured to be working with the Wheeler Centre. Um, Wheeler Centre are an incredible institution who are definitely helping to create conversations and, you know, you know, not tokenism and 
they're not tokenistic in the sense that, you know, there's so many events that I've gone to which are really great um, and have provided a platform for other voices. So that's what this event is about. Um, so it's a panel talk um, which will feature, uh, you know, local activists, women who um, have used the power of narrative to talk about politics, identity and, you know, that dual role we have in our world um, and that dual cultural role that mm. a lot of us have as well. So, yeah. Mm. And yeah, there's a really incredible lineup um, at the event. Yeah. Do you want to let us know? Or do you want me to run through them? Um, I feel okay. <laughs> I'll do it. We're both looking at each other, being like, "Who's going to read this out?" <laughs> you go first. No, you go first. <laughs> um, so we've got Farag, who is an amazing woman. I know her personally. She um, she founded Meet Farag, which mm. is um, you know, all about sort of humanizing the experience of the immigrant. Um, but she's also done a whole bunch of like amazing work. She's spoken at the UN. Um, she's got a, a great TED talk. So definitely look at that. Um, and she really, she really sort of has this uh, unique ability to tie narrative into politics and, and to make it super accessible. Um, and she's also a complete darling. So, um, she's on the panel. Uh, we've got Rona Glenn McDonald, who founded uh, Common Ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, she's she's an incredible uh, First Nation leader, I think. And I saw I actually saw her speak at a conference, and I was so taken back with her passion and her charisma that, um, yeah, I absolutely thought she needs to be on this panel. Um, uh, we've got Chantel as well, who does uh, Hey, Auntie, hey Auntie podcast. Um, and she is just such a great storyteller and she brings so much love and energy to, to, to the work she does. And all these women have founded ways to bring other stories to light, but to celebrate it as well, there's like a sense of joy and a sense of sharing with a lot of the work that the three mm. of them do. So to have them all on the same panel is going to be so much fun and it's going to be really enlightening and really empowering. Yeah. Absolutely. I cannot wait. Yeah. Because um, it's still a couple of weeks away, hey? Yeah. 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 So get your book, uh, book your tickets. It's also a free event. It's free. Yeah. Everyone can come. Exactly. <laughs> which is so important given what we were talking about before around like, you know, accessibility and in, in the, yeah. in the publishing lit world and stuff. Yeah, so. definitely. Yeah. Um, don't forget to name the event, I'm getting told. Absolutely. <laughs> so <laughs> It's called Existence as Resistance, and it will be on the 17th of March at the Wheeler Centre, 6.15 to 7.15. Grab a little drink downstairs, and maybe I'll see you. We can have a chat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you've got heaps of time to you know, block that out in your calendar, 17th of March. hope to see you there. Is there any last things you'd like to share with listeners? Um, just to, you know... Um, you know, if we're going to talk about, you know, empowering people who are, you know, somewhat marginalised from, from you know, the arts, then, you know, the best thing that you can do, and I think the, the best thing that you can do is like a community member, but also maybe a budding activist, is just show up. Like I always say, at the at the end of the day, you know, your body there, your presence there, your applause, your support, it it's, it's, goes a long way. So if you show up to this event, then, you know, it'll compel Wheeler Centre to do more events like this. And it's, you know, it, it, it adds to the conversation. Mm. So show up. Absolutely. Hope to see you there, everyone. Thank you so much, Jerry, for joining us in the studio this morning to talk about Existence as Resistance, an incredible panel that's happening at the Wheeler Centre on the 17th of March at 6.15. 
We'll see you again next time. See ya. <laughs> Slavery is back. Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force, yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio, 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Have you heard about 3CR's national programs? Coming at you on community radio stations around Australia, produced in the studios of 3CR Melbourne. Services will be cut, jobs may well be lost, and workers' entitlements will be undermined. Their basic human rights are as important as everyone else. Over 200 million years, individual species have evolved. I mean, birds were once dinosaurs. Anything nasty online seems to be targeted against women. Muckety is a bad deal, but Muckety is absolutely not a done deal. You're listening to Women on the Line. Welcome again to Lost in Science. And welcome to another edition of the Radioactive Show. You've been listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. Hello and welcome to Accent of Women. Anarchist Wall this week. Listen to Beyond Zero, global warming science, solutions and action. You are listening to Let the Bands Play. Tune in to Stick Together, worker stories and union news. Grassroots Voice is broadcast weekly on the Community Radio Network. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 AM on digital and online. 3CR Radical Radio. You're on 3CR Community Breakfast 855 AM. Um, up next, we're going to listen to Woman's World 2.0 by Okenyo, Miss Blanks and Jesswa. The sphinx's nose is falling. Clink your glasses, melt the ice like ice. Crazy glasses, melt the ice like ice. Clink your glasses, our flashes. You won't ready for it to feel this nice. You won't ready for it to feel this nice. Woo! 
Clink your glasses, melt the ice like ice. Waste your glasses, melt the ice like ice. Clink your glasses, I'll flash it. You won't ready for it to feel this nice. You won't ready for it to feel this nice. Uh. I'm a very busy woman with a lot of my plate. I'm a very busy woman with a lot of my plate. I'm a very busy woman with a lot of my plate. So you better eat it up before I take it away. Y'all can't tell me shit. I know who I am, know what I'm gon' get. Visions on the stage, delicious and I'm thick. Just remember who birthed you, bitch. I be rocking microphones, babies on my chubby bones. Sunday day and see before they live with my music on. Tell the boys to watch the phone, I'm coming be my locker phone. Martinis while I work on your way I'm a very busy woman with a lot of my plate. I'm a very busy woman with a lot of my plate. I'm a very busy woman with a lot of my plate. So you better eat it up before I take it away. I'm a very busy woman with a lot of my plate. I'm a very busy woman with a lot of my plate. I'm a very busy woman with a lot of my plate. So you better eat it up before I take it away. You're on 3CR Thursday Breakfast, 8, 5, 5 a.m. It's just past 8 o'clock, and we've been listening to Woman's World by Okenyo, Miss Blanks, and Jesswa. I hope some of you got down to the amazing event that was happening last night, where um, Jesswa, Miss Blanks, and many others, Sampo, who we played this morning, um, I had a ticket, and then I couldn't find it, <laughs> so I couldn't go. I lost it when I was moving house. Um, anyway, what a shame. What a shame. But now, we're so, so, so lucky to be joined in the studio by Sasha and Rebecca. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Um, maybe do each of you want to introduce yourself just real quickly for listeners. Well, I'm Sasha Saideg, and this is my business partner. <laughs> in, business partner in crime. Yes, I'm Rebecca Loveday. And we're from the Transistors United. So, yeah, we were just here uh, um, maybe a month ago um, um, before we leave for the Tiwi Island. Mm. And I guess today is about the updates that um, we actually, yeah, yeah, so we just finished um, doing a project with the um, Brother Boys and Sister Girls on the Tiwi Islands. Um, it was predominantly on Bathurst Island, which is um, the main island there on Tiwi. Uh, so we've been in the works of doing a project with them for about a year, mm. and it finally, finally came to fruition, and we did it um, in early February, which was amazing, and we got to spend time with them. Um, we did a photo shoot with them. We provided them all with gift bags. We went to the local pub but it's called a nightclub Club. <laughs> um, you meet the villagers and their family members yeah it's mm. amazing it's ama- it was an amazing experience people are so welcoming there yeah i mm. think for us as um transgender women as well to go and experience um other people from the gender diverse community um and i say that because i think there's often a lot of um um misunderstanding that sister girls and brother boys are the same as being transgender, which is not. It's, mm-hmm. um, a lot of people, I'm not sure if they realise that that's an umbrella term for um, the First Nations community um, as what would be representative of the LGBTIQA plus community for us. So to be a sister girl or a brother boy doesn't necessarily mean you want to go through any kind of medical or physical transition as such, mm-hmm. um, but you identify, I guess, within the queer community, within the Aboriginal community, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. 
And for listeners who um, didn't tune in, you know, about a month ago when we chatted to you last time, could you just give us sort of a quick overview of, you know, where did the, the Trans Sisters United sort of project and the Tiwi Islands, Islands trip come from? Yeah, so um, Trans Sisters United um, started, I'm going to say, 18 months ago when we went to um, Melbourne Queer Film Festival. Mm. Um, and when we went to the festival, we um, watched a series of short films, which are all on gender diversity, and there were some films um, on the Sister Girls, and we decided that... Um, even though we are trans women, we are quite privileged to be living um, in a city, to be passing in public and all those sorts of things, working, all that sort of stuff. So we thought we wanted to use our platform and our privilege to assist other people within the Australian community to um, support them to do something. So it all kind of birthed from there. And then from that, we um, then decided we wanted to do what we wanted to do with the Sister Girls. And we went up there last October um, to collaborate with them. Obviously, for us not being um, Indigenous ourselves, we wanted to make sure that we were doing all the right things and making sure that what we wanted to do with them was something that they actually wanted, as opposed to us just assuming what they wanted. Um, and we did that last October, which was great. And we got to meet a lot of them. We um, collaborated with some organisations in Darwin as well. And tech, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. so the Northern Territory AIDS and Hepatitis Council. Mm-hmm. There's also a medical centre up there um, that is the only one of its kind that is um, advocating for people in the LGBTIQA plus community. That's in Darwin. And we also got permission from Crystal Love. Yeah, yeah. So, so for people that don't know, Crystal Love is, I guess, the, the leader of the Sister Girls as such. She's an activist. She's the queen sister girl. Yeah. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah. And we finally got to meet her um, our, at our last trip. So just before we go back to Melbourne yeah. um, with Crystal, she mm. lives in Darwin. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, yeah, it was an incredible experience and it was good to go and um, share our time with them and collaborate with them. Um, and we're going to make sure that we have a continued um relationship with them because they are isolated um they don't necessarily have a lot of access to i guess the medical needs that people might need from the gender diverse community um and yeah to be able to to access that they need to have communication to broader australia as well but having said that there's this amazing woman um named diane davis she helped all the sister girls and brother boys over there um to get jobs um to to have a good life over there yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what? We're talking over each other. Um, yeah, so Diane Davis runs um, a sister girl program mm. up there, and it's for the brother boys as well. But she runs that program um, because they um, were, I guess, they weren't really as such embedded into the community. They were um, seen as a little bit of outcast from the community, and they had some quite. Um, um, horrific incidents happen throughout time, which I won't go too far into detail. Yeah. It's very early in the morning. <laughs> um, but as a result of that, they started the Sister Girl program, um, which helped the Sister Girls to um, be welcomed into the community, to be accepted. They introduced uh, a gender-neutral toilet into the pub slash nightclub thing that we went to, yeah. um, which is great. And, um, yeah, some of them are working, some of them um, are living back with their families and those sorts of things. So that isolation they were once experiencing, uh, they're now being brought back into the community, which is amazing. And Diane Davis also owns um, and runs the place Tiwi Design, um, where um, she actually she let us host um, the event the weekend with um, with the sister girls at her place. 
um, yeah, on Tiwi Island. So if everybody could come to Tiwi Island, have a look at that place. It's amazing. Yeah, so they, they do. Like, we encourage that if, yeah. you, if you want to go and experience that, then take a trip up to Darwin. Darwin's amazing as well. Mm. Um, and get the, hot ferry, though. get the ferry across. so hot. Get, <laughs> get the ferry across the Tiwi and go and, you know, support the people that live there, support their community, um, buy some artwork from Tiwi Design, all those sorts of things. And I think it's really important for us as privileged people living on First Nations land that we need to support the people that um, who, who you know, it was their land first, so we need to support that. Mm. And what's next on the agenda for Transistors United? Um, so we have a couple of things coming up. So um, we are also um, collaborating with uh, Trans Pride March Melbourne, so we're um, co-organisers and hosts for the first Trans Pride March here in Melbourne, which will be happening on Sunday the 29th of March um, at midday. It'll be going from the State Library to um, Federation Square, which will be followed by a concert with all trans and gender diverse artists that will be forming on that stage. So that will be amazing. So make sure you check that out on social media. And also we are going to be um, two out of five trans models that will be part of um, a program, um, it's not a program as such, it's a fashion show called This Is Me, which challenges sexism narratives of female beauty and conformity on International Women's Day. So that will be um, on, help me, Sasha, with the dates. <laughs> Um, the date? March 8th. Yeah, March Sunday, 8th. March 8th, which it's, is International Women's yes. Day. So that's the day it will be. Yes. Um, and it will be at Collingwood Town Hall. Yeah. And also, all profits that, um, or ticket sales will go, um, to the Butterfly Foundation, which supports girls and women with eating disorder and body dysphoria, and Foothills Care, which supports survivors of family violence. So don't forget to get your tickets. Um, tickets are selling fast, so, Go to Facebook, This Is Me, Melbourne, and you can get your tickets there. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. There's going to, there's going to be 30 models from different um, backgrounds, different cultural heritage, yeah, um, different body shapes, different sizes, different age, all that sort of stuff. So it's going to be really, really diverse. And I think for me, personally, it's nice to see that um, we're not the token trans person. There's going to be like one trans person. There's, there's a diversity of five different trans women from different backgrounds as well that are going to be modelling for that. So for me personally, that's an amazing thing. So it's yeah, we're, do, we're doing lots. <laughs> so much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, super exciting also to remember about the Trans Pride March that's happening later in, in March. Mm-hmm. Um, and 3CR will definitely be down there as well. I think yes. I'm meant to be down there doing some recording. Oh, yay. <laughs> um, so that will be exciting. Because mm-hmm. So there hasn't been any Trans Pride Marches in um today is that right there ha- there has been oh. but there um there's there's been some in america like you know obvious places like new york san francisco mm. there's there was one in london in 2019 uh there was a smaller one in sydney there was also one in lithgow is it lithgow i think so mm. um as well so there's been a couple of smaller ones around Australia and some mm. bigger ones internationally, but this will be the first time it'll be happening um in melbourne mm. there's going to be a concert too. Yeah, it's going to yeah. be amazing. It's going, to, yeah, it's going. To, so the concert's going to be at Fed Square. Yeah. Um, and there's going to be, I think, there's like eight different performers. Um, if you go down to Fed Square and check it out, there are all their like pictures and the stuff are on the billboards down there. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be on the main stage down there. So it'll be um, the actual Pride March itself will be from um, 12 p.m. till 2 p.m. So that that element of it will be um, speeches by people from the trans and gender diverse community, um, followed by the actual um, march from um, the State Library down to Federation Square, followed by the concert. 
stunning. Mm. And well, maybe we can definitely get either you or some other folks back in closer to time um, to remind listeners about the Trans Pride March later in March. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So, and yeah, and also check out the This Is Me page as well and yes. follow Trans Sisters United. So we're on um, social media, we're on Facebook, we're mm-hmm. on Instagram. Um, so Instagram is trans.sisters.united and Facebook, um, just type in Trans Sisters United and you'll find us. Incredible. Hope to see uh, you guys um, on the 8th of March. Yes. International Women's Day. Definitely. Mm. We'll definitely be there. Well, thank you both so much, Sasha and Rebecca, for coming in this morning. Thank Always you. Always welcome to come back. Um, we love speaking with you. Have a brilliant Thursday. Thank, thank you. you. You too. The Taranta Festival is back for five days of music, dance, visual arts and food, celebrating Southern Italian and Mediterranean culture. Featuring, direct from Italy, the voice of Enza Pagliara, Dario Mucci, Tarantula Garganica, and the pick of local acts including Alara, Delirium, Santa Taranta, Opabato, Arte Canela, Cavisha Mazzella, plus the launch of the Melbourne Taranta Orchestra, and more. Melbourne Taranta Festival, from the 11th to the 15th of March. Full program and tickets available online via trybooking.com and tarantafestival.com.au. Abalati. The Taranta Festival is a 3CR support. So, here you are, too foreign for home, too foreign for here, never enough for both. Idioma umebinyo, diaspora blues. What makes you smile and adds a spring to your step? What does it mean to belong and how do we build a home away from home? Diaspora Blues is a show that contemplates what is and what could be. Join Busto and Bigwa every Monday at 2.30 on 3CR Community Radio. Produced by Ayan. We're excited to be launching on March 2nd. Connect with us by following the show on Instagram at 3cr.diasporablues. I spent three and a half years living on the street and I know what it's like to have no hope and not to feel part of the society and I think that's where a lot of these people are. But I think we need to help people who are traumatised and help people get back on their feet and give them hope and help them um, feel like they're a part of the society again instead of just moving them on like they're an inconvenience. If it were not for ruminations, how would the views of those of us who have been homeless or are homeless, how would these views ever be aired? How would they ever be expressed? Subscribe to the station that gives airtime to people with a lived experience of homelessness. Support 3CR. You're on 3CR Thursday breakfast, 855am on your dial. We were just chatting with Sasha and Rebecca from Transistors United. Up next, we're going to listen to Tommy by Miss Blanks. And a heads up, a bit of a, a bit of a language warning with this one.
diamonds and rings and all expensive things. I got lotion and bling from Tommy, my handsome king. We fly London to Milan, I eat the wind in the sun. Adventures do start at dawn, so dancing until the morn. Romancing with me and Tommy, no weapons on that boy Tommy. Dancing for that boy Tommy, Tommy, Tommy. Can't believe I do got that feeling for that boy named Tommy Hilfiger. But these little boys wanna pay me, baby. Watch the Ford light come over and save me. Jealousy do a piece for the young new fella in loose frames. With the low tank top, he shot the top. And a new wristwatch, I'm hard to clock. No five o'clock, shadow, no cock to cop. Put the boy behind by so icy rocks. Uh, Miss Blank's got an essay for she do shit. Got the deal cause I'm queen and they knew it. Stay winning the ship, boy, you mad or not? Nah. I said I'm killing the ship, boy, you mad or not? Nah. Tell your bitch, boy, I can hear the rumble. You the bitches like your cookies, not see they crumble. I, I ain't never been fake, though. God's plan, I ain't gotta sound like Drake, bro. Believe I do got that feeling for that boy named Tommy Hoffman. Hey, boy, you kinda slick. I'm the new girl around with icy wrist. Why you all about that? I be getting amazed. With Alice on the beach, give me something to say. Something like a dog, competition like my cute toy. I'ma go war when we lay down to sleep, boy. Put me to sleep, we stay in the Hamptons. I'll be your Maryland, you be my man, son. Hum, hum, like summer begun to come. Run, run, like we on the run to fun. I'm attacking you boys with Kinnicky Nicky. Felony conscious or pussy with finger sticky icky. All class, all ass, I never put out. Diamonds and rings and all expensive things. I got Gosha and bling from Tommy, my handsome king. We buy new season Chanel and beats on us for drills. So can't do blows in the wind with blue feathers. This is my sin. We fly London to You're on 3CR Thursday Breakfast, 8.55am on your dial. That was Tommy by Miss Blanks. What an incredible track to start the morning. And up next, we're going to be hearing from an interview that um, Anya Saravanan from Tuesday Breakfast did on the incredible podcast QR Code, which is 3CR's own LGBTIQA plus health podcast um, from last year. And this interview was with... Um, Dr. Azio Adan Sanchez about access to healthcare for trans and gender diverse folks. Continuing the conversation. So my name is Azio Adan Sanchez. I was born and raised in Mexico and moved to Australia about 10 years ago now, so time definitely flies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, I'm primarily, I guess, my day-to-day job is as a general practitioner, so I'm working in Melbourne's West 
and I've always been based around Melbourne's West, really. I really love the sense of multiculturalism it has. Um, within my practice, I focus a lot on kind of mental health, sexual health, LGBTIQ health kind of in general, and um, HIV medicine. Outside of that, I also do a fair bit of advocacy, mainly through Minus 18. So I'm part of the board of directors there and have been there for a couple of years now, which is mm-hmm. fantastic. It's a great mm-hmm. organization to work with. And I also write on the side whenever I get the chance, write some poetry and some essays. And mm-hmm. that's also uh, a very yeah good way of winding down, I suppose. I have a very fraught relationship with the word queer specifically. Um, the reason being is that as a person of color, it never necessarily encapsulated the more cultural aspects of, of my queerness, let's just say. And it's rooted very much in kind of um, white Western ideals, I suppose, um, in a way that it absorbs some of the other gender nonconformity and queerness, I suppose, that's inherent to many other cultures. Um, and we tend to only access those histories and those cultures through this kind of queer lens without really engaging with the historical and, you know, sociocultural mm. context. Um, so I suppose queer is a bit of a double-edged sword because for me it allowed me to, let's say, explore different boundaries of sexuality, gender relationships, etc., etc. Mm. But at the same time, um, there was always this kind of acute knowledge that it, it didn't necessarily encompass all of, all of it. Mm. And particularly when it comes to to gender. So let's say for, for, for me, my non-binary, gender fluid, whatever you want to call it, identity, a lot of that is rooted in paying homage to women because I never really identified with a Mexican masculinity. Uh, to me, Mexican masculinity was essentially a place of violence, whereas Mexican femininity, on the other hand, was a place of strength and a place of vulnerability. Mm. And both of them just kind of came together in a way that I hadn't really experienced otherwise. So a lot of that essentially gets a bit erased when we use labels like queer or let's say just kind of broadly speaking non-binary or transgender. All of those kind of cultural richness gets uh, subsumed into it without mm. necessarily giving the space to explore what it really means. And how does it feel to navigate this identity, however you you know identify yourself, in the medical profession? Yeah, that's a bit of a tricky question. Um, look, I find that, um, let's say, the younger, newer generation of doctors and medical students I get along with incredibly well. Um, I think a lot of them are they're accepting of queerness in a personal setting. The difficulty is when that bleeds into the professional setting of things. Mm. So let's say I'm more than comfortable. I'm, I'm out to most of my colleagues in regards to sexuality. But in regards to gender, that's almost seen as an um, mm. unprofessional kind of thing. I can't mm. be explicitly gender nonconforming in the workplace without getting questioned about it from, mm. you know, literally everyone I kind of come in contact with. In terms of the way you dress and is that... Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, in terms of just how I present myself, yeah, essentially, okay. the whole way through. I remember when I was kind of still working in the hospital, I one one time I decided to kind of push things a little bit further and wear um, nail polish. Mm-hmm. I love wearing nail polish. It just mm-hmm. brightens my day. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and literally kind of every single interaction that I have with another health professional was a question around why I was wearing kind of nail polish. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I just, you know, I like it. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. fine. Um, 
but uh, at no stage was a question about it by the patients. The patients were just kind of like, yeah, it's there. Didn't really raise the point, didn't really question it, didn't make yeah. a thing out of it. Mm. Um, and from my other colleagues' experiences of uh, who are trans and gender diverse within the medical space, um, they do find that a lot of that pushback essentially comes from the medical profession, medical mm-hmm. school, medical administrators, rather than from, you know, any explicit homophobia or transphobia or mm. any forms of prejudice from, from patients. Yeah. yeah, and from what I've heard, the medical profession is still quite a conservative profession. I would completely agree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think one of the reasons why I enjoy general practice so much is because you do get rid of a lot of those really kind of bullshitty systems. Mm. Um, you're no longer kind of working in this big hospital machine thing. Mm. Where, um, there's a kind of hierarchy inherently built into it. Mm. Uh, and I think everyone's kind of chatting about, um, you know, flattening the hierarchy and making, you know, everyone really approachable, et cetera, et cetera, mm. which is great. But that, her- that, let's say, power differential is just embedded in how the, the, the structure works. Yeah. And how do these sort of structural factors limit accessibility to healthcare for patients, especially trans and gender diverse patients? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. Unfortunately, it depends a lot on whoever's at the top, if that mm. makes sense. Okay. I've seen instances where you have a really well-informed um, health professional, essentially at the top of the team as a consultant, and they essentially lead by example, and they're very careful to navigate, um, let's say, uh, someone's gender identity mm-hmm. in a, in a you know, sensitive and respectful manner. Um, similarly, I've seen instances where the kind of person at the top is not so great, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it really makes your life difficult because you become kind of the in-between man and in kind of navigating the patient's needs and mm-hmm. navigating what your consultant says or gives priority to or doesn't give priority to or mm-hmm. speaks about, you know, patient in... in um, other interactions with health professionals, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Um, so unfortunately there's, because of, let's say, that inherent nature of that um, hierarchy, it's difficult to challenge some of those aspects when you don't have someone who's particularly, you know, inclusive or um, is following, you know, best practice at, at, at the top of that hierarchy. Mm. And one thing that came up a lot when I was researching this topic is what's called the informed consent model. Can you explain to me what that is? Sure. Um, So the informed consent model is essentially a model for trans and diverse people to access medical affirmation um, without having the medical profession be as big of a gatekeeper as it historically has been. Mm -hmm. So let's just say back um, the the previous model that was kind of practiced and that is still practiced, unfortunately, in in many places, is that you do have to undergo a gender assessment by a specialist. Most of the time that tends to be a psychiatrist and an endocrinologist. Perhaps other health professionals are also kind of involved in the meantime. Mm -hmm. And until you get that assessment kind of done and cleared, um, you won't necessarily get access to gender affirmation that you need. So for very obvious reasons, that becomes incredibly stressful and difficult because mm-hmm. by the time someone who's trans or gender diverse reaches a point to where they want to access medical affirmation, they've already processed a lot of those things and have obviously questioned themselves to the nth degree and have understood their own gender identity in a way 
that um, means that they're ready for essentially gender affirmation. Mm-hmm. And what that process does is kind of takes them back to the very beginning and then forces them to, you know, for example, in the really old school way, it was uh, live as your affirmed gender for, you know, like two years and then you can access gender affirmation hormones. Right. It's like, <laughs> mm. uh, so it's, it's a very kind of full on type of um, process. Uh, I should you're on 3CR Thursday Breakfast, 8.55 a.m. And I just had to tune out that interview, um, but you can find more on the QR code website. That was um, Anya Saravanan talking with Dr. Aziel Adan Sanchez on transformative healthcare, which we're going to be covering heaps more on the show over the coming weeks, so stay tuned. But just quickly before we wrap up the show, um, I just wanted to hand over to Priya, who has just joined Thursday Breakfast, to let us know about an incredible event that's happening tonight. All right. Uh, hi, everyone. Oh, so weird to be on air. Um, I'm just doing a quick plug for an event called uh, The Voices Factory Volume 1. It's a fire, uh, it's a fundraiser for Fire Sticks. So Fire Sticks is uh, Fire Sticks Alliance Indigenous Corporation, Indigenous-led network um, aiming to reinvigorate the use of cultural burning. Um, and so this is tonight at... Um, the factory, number 22 Belgium Avenue in Richmond, from 4 to 11 p.m. Um, there's going to be a film screening and um, a couple of acts there. There'll be food, um, all ages, venues, wheelchair accessible. And uh, it's a $10 entry fee. Uh, First Nations people, asylum seekers, refugees, and residents of the housing estate are free. Nobody's turned away for lack of funds. And please bring cash. Amazing. Thank you so much. Get down there, everyone. That's all we've got time for this morning. So excited to have you on the show, Priya. Um, and yeah, stay tuned for Lost in Science. We'll be back next week. 3CR Breakfast would like to thank the New International Bookshop, Melbourne's radical independent bookseller and venue, for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton. Or check them out at nibs.org.au to find more information about upcoming discussions and events.